welcome to episode 43 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards, slightly sick with a massive sinus infection. This is why I hate the springtime. Uh, so bear with me a little bit. Joining me today, we have Editor-in-Chief of New Zealand. I, I've been demoted to Editor-in-Chief of, uh, of let's, let's say, Monaco. Monaco? What do you got against Monaco? The country? That's a principality. Yeah. <laughs> My mistake. I apologize. Um, this is John McCarroll. Um, I'm John on the forums now. Yeah. I, why did you change to just John? What do you like share or something? Yeah, I'm John. I'm just John. Ashton is now just Ashton as well. Yeah, I, I meant, actually meant. I meant to take that on our old board system before our 2006 white, but actually someone else had the name just John. So they're gone now, though. So it's my name. Mysteriously, they are gone. So uh, joining us today, we have uh, the man who loves Zidane, and that's always what his uh, little Skype character looks like. Or not anymore, but your character on our website. Sorry, I'm I'm really sick. That's okay. Uh, Steven Meyer, Taylor's on the boards. Excellent, excellent. And then we have the man who is also getting over being sick, and he loves him some Xenoblade. Derek Hemsbergen, I'm Embryon on the boards. Excellent, excellent. And then the man who continues to defend Mass Effect 3 and everything about it, he believes that the ending is awesome and that Bioware, they are in fact gods. <laughs> I have never said that, okay? <laughs> they are yeah, okay. gods. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Ashton. Uh, actually, my ca- my name on the boards is now Ashton so that people don't have to pronounce it weird anymore. I was actually thinking about changing it to Bob just, just to mess with people. Yeah, but then they think that it was me, and you would just get an influx of hate mail for daring to give Xenoblade <laughs> a 90. Hey, I wouldn't change my email to Bob. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So what do we have to talk about today? Uh, we got a little bit of Xenoblade to talk about. We had a massive Xenoblade podcast back in the day, but it's uh, probably a good time to talk a little bit more about it. And then we're going to ha- talk about some Tales games, because, you know, what is it? Uh, today is Saturday, so there must have been a Tales game released, apparently. <laughs> I'm I'm just no no it's it's two it, tells games are released on Tuesday you oh know. my mistake my mistake so uh yeah let's start out by talking about some uh some Xenoblade uh yeah I, I I reviewed it and I enjoyed it quite a bit I gave it a ninety it's it's quite good yes I played about twenty minutes of it and that was before you sent it to me <laughs> yes. And Which is why your, your reveal was not shrink-wrapped. I, I, I was wondering it. about that. I was like, this is mysteriously open. <laughs> I'm okay yeah, with I, this. Though. I played the um, Japanese version for around like 30 to 40 hours. I didn't actually finish the story, which is why I never actually um, wrote the review for it when it came out in Japan. But yeah, it's one of the better JRPGs this generation. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so just I've to, been playing it uh, as well. Go ahead, Steven. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying I've been playing it as well, and I definitely think it's one of the more solid JRPGs we've had in a substantial amount of time. And it's not one of those, like, second-tier JRPGs that are super-duper wacky and, you know, full of incredibly irritating gameplay mechanics. And large breasts. Yes, and large breasts. Although Charla, Charla can... Uh... Although they do have some skimpy clothing in there. Well, that, a lot of that comes from the loot in the game and the fact that there is an, a massive amount of loot. So yeah, uh, I did the review of Xenoblade, and I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I think Steven said it before on our Xenoblade show that it really is Final Fantasy XII done right, and I, I totally agree with that. It is a 
you know, large, sprawling RPG with no random encounters with enemies on the field. You engage them in MMO-style combat where, you know, one character is acting as a tank, another character is acting as a, um, you know, buffer, debuffer, and then you have a healer, and you can have alternates in between. And I, I really enjoyed it. It does feel like it comes together a lot better than, you know, a game that came out. What, when was Final Fantasy twelve? Was that 2006, 2007? Oh, my gosh. Was it that long ago? It was a long time ago. I don't. And, I don't think it was 2005, though. It, it might have been the Japanese. Oh no, no! It, I played. I played the Japanese version, so that was 2005. Yeah, okay, that sounds about right. 2006. And it it just it comes together in a really awesome way, and it's it's fun to play. And I think that the one thing that I really came away with the game was that I I found it to be very relaxing. I found it to be a game that I could sit down for like hours on end and play, and really enjoy it, and not get like super frustrated or super like. It, it may sound like a knock on the game, but like I wasn't sucked into the game, but I was definitely enjoying my time with it. You know what I mean? Like I, I was having a really, really good, good time playing the game. So the, the only thing that really, the, there were only a couple problems that I ha- had with the game. Um, for starters, I think the menus are fine, but they're like the the item menus in particular can get really nuts. Like every time I had to go into my inventory and refit characters, it's just. There's too many pieces of equipment, and it's really awkward to scroll around. I mean, that that was a little troubling. More egregious, you know, you get something like 500 side quests in this game. And yeah. the yeah. side quests where you don't have to return to the quest giver are totally fine. Like, a quest giver will tell you, oh, go out and, you know, slay five bunny rabbits. And I'm being quite literal there. You slay the five bunny rabbits, and it's mission complete. You don't have to go back and talk to them. The ones that you do have to go back and talk to, that sucks. Because the game does not do a good job of telling you where things are. And, uh, yeah, definitely, like, I just think with that many quests in the MMO, go do X number of things and then go ahead and do this, they really needed, like, like I can't remember if it was World of Warcraft or which show ended up adding, like, it shows you the vicinity on the map that the quest is in. Uh-huh. Yeah, World of Warcraft does that. Yeah, it, it really needed that. Like, it didn't have to specifically say, but just because there's so many different tiny little nooks that have, like, quest items in them, I mean, you could need to find something, and it could be a little glowing orb in a quadrant of the map that's, like, out in the middle of nowhere, and you have no indication of where, where it is. And then when you find the item, they're like, yeah, go back to Bob in town, and Bob in town is in the middle of, like, a thousand NPCs. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because I I think that everything else that they do in the game is much much friendlier than a typical uh, JRPG. Absolutely. <laughs> now I I what's what's interesting is I I don't like the okay I'm gonna hold your hand um, like they do in Fable where there's a shiny gold line wherever you need to go. Right, right. But I do like the I do like the way that that games like Dead Space or or I I, I can't think off the top of my head where other games that do it where you click in the left stick and obviously you can't do that on the Wii because you can't click in that stick but and it's like oh you need to head in this direction yeah I, like I, some okay okay keep going no 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 something like that is immensely useful and it's not intrusive like it is in Fable yeah like it's it's subtle and it's within like. In Dead Space, it's a part of his suit. Like, it's even, like, they even refer to it in the game, like, oh, this is your nav point in the suit. So it's kind of like that pathfinding spell in um, Skyrim. Right. I, yeah. I actually think one of the things that Skyrim did pretty well, especially compared to New Vegas, like, New Vegas would constantly send me, like, okay, is the quest giver on the top floor or is he on the bottom floor? And a lot of that had to do with the leveling structures. 
but the uh, I-, I thought Skyrim did a really good job. Like I never felt lost finding someone. And for everything that Xenoblade does so well, I mean, I love the fact that you can save anywhere. I love the fact that if you die in this game, it just sets you back to a landmark. If Skyrim did that, I would love Skyrim so much more because it's a, it's a game about exploration. It's a game about go out, have some fun, find some people. If you run into a level 90 frog and they stomp on you and kill you, we're not going to penalize you for that. We're just going to send you back, and you don't have to worry about it. No muss, no fuss. Like, I love you that know, about yeah. this game. That happened to me in Tales of Graces, actually, um, going back to the game we're going to talk about later, was there was one point where it's like, you need to go south. And like in most JRPGs, you expect, okay, I'm going to go in one direction, and there's going to be little things on the side that I need to go and, and explore, because that's where all the items are. So there's a little place off to the east in this desert. I don't go off to in the east. In the desert, right? Yep. Yep. And you get into one battle, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to kill you in two hits. Yeah, that was the optional part with all, like, level 90 enemies. Yeah, I made that mistake the first time through the desert, too. And it's frustrating. And do you know what game I think did it right? And and I go back to it because it had, and it's such an odd game, is Super Mario RPG had so many design decisions that were so friendly. Oh, I remember that. if If you died in Super Mario RPG... It brought you back to your save point, and you kept all of the experience that you had accrued up to that point. I remember that. Uh, we're all yelling at yeah, Stephen right now. Yeah, I think, right I think Earthbound has a similar uh, had a similar system where uh, I think what was it where if you touched an enemy that was like significantly lower in level, you just killed it outright. You know what game that was incredibly frustrating in is Hyperdimension Neptunia Two. Because you would go and try and find items to kill things, and you would attack them, and they would just disappear, and you would get nothing. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I haven't experienced that. I've, I've played that game some, and I feel... Okay, I only want to... I don't know why I'm even talking about this. I feel like an idiot because, you know, I, I'm not a huge proponent of DLC, but I bought a piece of DLC for that game. I wanted Falcom, because I love that company, and... I'm not even in the chapter when I can use it yet, and that game has far exceeded my patience. That's not a good game. Moving on. Well, I think yeah, um, hyperdimen- God, I God. think hyperdimensional Neptunia is one of those things that does DLC really wrong. I mean, I'm I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but everything about that game really annoys me. Like the gameplay, the characters, the setting. I mean, I I'm I'm all for parodies and stuff like that. But Hyperdimensional Neptunia is just, it seems like a complete fan service game, and some of the DLC is just insulting. It's like you have a character join you in the middle of the game, and then they say, oh, in order to use this character, you have to download our DLC. Buy it now. Yeah. It's just annoying. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about bad DLC some when we come back to Tales of Graces. So, so bringing it back yeah. to bringing it back to Xenoblade, I think that you know the pure adventuring part of Xenoblade. Once you finally get out into like this, these massive overworlds, and you know just so many places you can go, and so many different things you'll find. The game rewards you with uh, XP if you you know find a certain landmark, if you find a certain area, if you find a secret area. It's constantly rewarding your exploration. And I think that's something that. When you compare it to like Final Fantasy XII, because I, I consider this game to be very similar to Final Fantasy XII, I, I never felt rewarded for anything other than fighting, and the fighting grew very tiresome. Whereas the fighting in Xenoblade, it just feels so much fun because you're controlling one character, 
and you can switch out of combat which character you want to play as. And since since each character has their role in battle, you get to see the inner workings of the fight. And for the most part, I, I found this interesting reading other people's reviews, and I think it has a lot to do with the way I played the game. A lot of people complained about the the AI partners, and they were like, well, you know, my AI partner was being really stupid, and they weren't helping me, or they weren't healing me at the right time. But if you do any number of the side quests, if you do like maybe five of every ten side quests that you pick up in an area, so let's say half, you will be so overpowered when you're running through that area to actually finish story missions. It won't matter if your guys are doing anything stupid in battles, because you literally won't lose a hit point. But that's not an excuse. Like No, no, no. It's not an excuse, but it's something uh, like I didn't notice it. I didn't notice my party members doing anything stupid because I was always about five levels above whatever I was fighting. See, for yeah. me, when I played it, I mean, I'm still playing it now. I don't understand what the complaints are because I feel like the healers are, you know, I, I almost always play a shulk. And I just I have no problem with what my party does. Like Ryan always knocks the enemy off balance if I need them to do it. You know, Charlotte will heal if I need her to show buff. You know, so I don't understand I don't understand that complaint, and I feel like it comes from, like, with Final Fantasy Thirteen, and, you know, with people not liking not being able to control their other party, member, other party members in battle. But I don't feel like Xenoblade has any problem with that. And I actually specifically said when I talked about the game in the past that the party is awesome at doing what you need them to do. There were only a few moments that I've, I felt that they were being a little stupid, but again, with a little bit of overleveling and with some correct choices in the middle of battle, you, you kind of overcome it. There, there are times when the, the battles are like insane. I mean, there, there's just all kinds of crap happening, you know, buffs, debuffs, spells, attacks. But what they do is a really ingenious system of if something really bad is about ready to happen – then the main character Shulk will get a vision of, you know, say a party member getting ready to be wiped out. And so then you can go about, you know, preventing that from happening. And I think that that, that reels in the battle system. I think without that, it might have been very frustrating, but it plays not only to the battle system, it also plays into the story. And I think that's one thing Xenoblade does so well and so many JRPGs miss out on. Things that Shulk develops, things that the party develop in terms of, you know, their mutual like for each other in and out of cutscenes and in the field, that plays into both the combat and the way the story plays out. Now, it's not huge sweeping changes in the story, but it's like Shulk starts to see visions in cutscenes, and he starts to see you know adventures that him and his crew are going to have. Well, then that plays into the combat. So you don't have this wide disparity between cutscene characters and what's going on in combat and i think that's something that jrpgs have really struggled with and xenoblade does very very well absolutely i i think that that's one of the best parts of the game is that the characters relationships have combat implications like i love the tales series and i love the skits but for all intents and purposes the skits are separate from the characters as battle parties so like to have xenoblade where when you see the heart to hearts and you you know you support them in battle, you know, you get something, you get something out of that. I think it's just a fantastic connection of the story in the game and the actual like playing of the game. Yeah. So Derek, you played how many hours of the original, uh, European import? I don't know, like 80 or 90 ridiculousness. And are uh, you going to pick up the American version and start it all again? <laughs> I was actually thinking about it. Well, I, I know that I want to get it again in any way just to support them for bringing it here because this is in my probably top five games of all time. You have no idea. I love this game. Wow. Uh, 
but well, I said, you know, I said that before. Don't even act surprised. No, 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 no. But it's like <laughs> I, I really liked it. Um, you know, I, I think it's the best JRPG that I've played since uh, Persona 4. I don't like it as much as Persona 4, though. Uh, for whatever yeah. reason, Persona 4 just like struck a chord with me, and I, I probably will never forget that game. The one thing about Xenoblade is like. Uh, I've played so much of it, and I, I am starting to get a little worn down with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like the battle system, I like the characters, but I, I do kind of feel like, okay, you know. The side quests well, will burn you out pretty pretty yeah. easily in that game. You yeah, know, that's I, like I, the I, only flaw in the game right now. I, I feel like funny. Too Z, much Xenoblade. I feel like Xenoblade is one of those tiles of games where you you can't shotgun it. It doesn't work. Like uh, you I, need yeah. to be. Able, you, you have to have some kind of of you know, modicum of play. It's like when you play an MMO. I can't play an MMO for more than like an hour at a time because if I'm doing questing, I'm like, well, I'm killing a bunch of random crap. And I think that, that like I said, I, I by far played the least amount of Xenoblade of anyone here, but I feel like that's the kind of game that it would be. Yeah, having to marathon the game was not a pleasant experience. And it was like, if you go into a town and get every quest in the town and go out and try to complete every quest, you're going to drive yourself insane. Like, it's just not meant to be played like that. This is not Skyrim. This is not, well, I get all these quests and I want to do all of them. This is like, you should do some of them, but you not all of them. Compare the, everything the only, to Skyrim. I just I wanted th- to say that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think the game, too, like, early on in the game and in the story, you don't want to be doing every side quest. But I haven't made it to the absolute end yet. But I think to do some of the optional boss fights and, like, you know, some of the super powerful monsters... I think you actually do have to be kind of grossly overleveled. Well, some of the first monsters you can run into once you get onto the Bionis's leg are like level 96 Triceratops. <laughs> yeah, I think those are those are more like post-game content to me. Yeah, exactly. So like, it may break the balance of the story as you go to do all the side quests, but when you go back to do the post-game stuff, you're gonna have to go and. I mean, it's, it's kind of like complaining about like getting to a monster hunt in Final Fantasy twelve or something, and then saying, "Oh, it's too high level," but you're just you're supposed to come back to it later. Like trying to tackle Yasmad when your level I don't know level thirty is not going to be really you know productive Yaz- to your gaming experience. Wasn't Yasmad the boss that took like five hours? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I didn't fight him. Do we all have Monster Hunter try? Because I just I had to pick it up to get a uh, this plays into Xenoblade. I was having such a bear of a time playing Xenoblade with a Wiimote and a nunchuck that I gave in, went out, bought Monster Hunter twa- try for twenty bucks so I could get a uh, Wii Classic controller. You know, I actually got the Monster Hunter try with the Classic Controller Pro when it first came out. I I I don't know what it is, but I can't get into Monster Hunter. I own like three different versions of it. And yeah, I, I, can't I have. Yeah, I have the same feelings. I mean, um, Monster Hunter. I, 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 when I lived in Asia, like China, Taiwan, Japan, everybody loved that game because um, I don't know. It's because people loved playing it together. But for some reason, I just found the battle system clunky, and I don't know. Killing dino, uh, dragons after the first time just didn't cut it anymore. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's very fantasy star style, but I think because it gets rid of of progression and it's uh, it doesn't get rid of progression completely but because it's more more oriented around player skill than rpg progression it doesn't appeal to me and see that's probably why it's going to appeal to me like that's probably why there there were moments playing xenoblade where at the very beginning of the game you can get really frustrated because you haven't had a chance to over level and those were the moments where i was like wow I, i feel like i can't beat this guy and there's nothing i can do okay 
walk away five hours later, come back and just steamroll them. And, you know, that that can be frustrating. And I think I prefer the games where like and that's not to say that Xenoblade completely plays with numbers, but it is very much a traditional RPG in that sense. It is an RPG where like if your numbers are better than their numbers, you're going to win. And maybe that's why something like Monster Hunter would actually appeal to me. We don't cover Monster Hunter, do we? No, because it's not. It, it it loses much of the progression from other games. It's got some decent exploration. Okay. And it's got, you know, but but it's not something we cover at RPG. Fan. Yeah, it's more of and, an action game. You know, I, I, I was listening to, or no, I was watching actually something on Penny Arcade talking about the description of RPGs and, and Western versus JRPGs and all that kind of stuff. And something interesting came to mind because I, I think it matches something I've never been able to put words to, which is when I'm trying to figure out what, an RPG is, I look at its primary, like what it's trying to do, the primary thing that it's trying to do. And if that kind of matches up with what my definition of RPG is. So they say an RPG is, is, you know, a a game that you play to be engrossed or they play, I I forget what it was. It's been a while since I've watched it, but I, I think it's important to look at what the, the primary of the game is, which is honestly why I think that a game like, uh, Mario tennis for the game boy advance is more of an RPG than monster hunter. Hmm. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. It's something we fight with constantly, is what is an RPG. I mean, I, I was very adamant about the fact I didn't consider Mass Effect 2 to be much of an RPG. I don't ex- I don't see Mass Effect 3 as much of an RPG. To me, it's uncharted with, you know, skill development. And see, I, conversation trees. I, well, conversation trees are very important when it comes to if it's a primary. Yes, that's important. And in Mass Effect, that certainly is a primary because sure. character interaction is a primary. It's it's not Uncharted, which is action and cutscenes first. And there there are no conversation trees in Uncharted. So I, and plus, I think too, like you could look at a game like Planescape. If you took the leveling up out of Planescape Torment, would that not be an RPG? Because people would argue that the combat in that game is completely secondary to the dialogue and the conversations anyway. No, it's true. It's true. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that like we shouldn't be covering Mass Effect, but it's like to each his own. You know, it's like yeah, to each his own. Is what is I mean, an RPG? I mean, even if you consider uh, the abil- uh, character progression system, Mass Effect Two and Three do have their specific character progression systems and character creation and character customization that are inherent in an RPG in the gameplay sense. Which is why when like people go on our Facebook and uh, Facebook. Um, site and then say oh mass effect isn't an rpg you you shouldn't even co- be covering this i'm like yeah but it is an rpg it's marketed as an rpg it's well, designed as an rpg etc cetera, etc cetera. I, I think that some of the people that we get on facebook and twitter and and everywhere and i i don't mean this to be an insult but a lot of people don't view many western developed games as rpgs and this is something that we've seen consistently oh yeah is yes is that is that we we have a lot of fans a lot of very hardcore fans about Japanese style RPGs and they don't view anything else as an RPG. And you know what? That's fine. As Rob said earlier to each his own, but you know, I, I think that yes, they are different styles of game. It's interesting that we call them both RPGs considering that, you know, what they set out to do and how they are, are put together are completely different. Yep. yep. But, but yeah. I think, it, I think at the end of the day, they're both, RPGs, and that's why we cover them here. Well, to put it uh, rather bluntly, uh, Xenoblade, pretty freaking awesome. 
pretty good game. I, I would definitely yeah. recommend it to uh, people. Go back and listen to our huge uh, Xenoblade podcast if you want to hear us go like even more in depth about the game. But for what it is, I mean, I, I I think it's I think Xenoblade is an awesome game. Definitely worth your time. Glad to see it in America. And you know, I, I've been very cynical about JRPGs on this show. I mean, I, I I've been very outspoken that I, I think the JRPG, you know, I've, I haven't really played one that I enjoyed since persona four. And now I can say I really, really enjoyed Xenoblade and you know, it's not a dead genre, but it's a genre that it needs to find something. It, it you know, needs I, to do something. And I, it, I it don't want to have, I don't want to have this conversation today. Okay. And, uh, and we're not going to, but the, the point that I want to put forth is I think that, that, the problem with the JRPG in North America is that companies aren't willing to put a very large budget into it unless they're sure that it's going to sell. Right, like Final Fantasy. And I think that's why we saw a whole lot of handheld JRPGs. I think that's why the PSP and probably the Vita will become these massive hubs for, for RPGs, the same that the DS was. Because I think that's that's the budget that's going to fit the the japanese style rpg and you know what i've got no problem with it i don't need my jrpgs to have you know these these amazing budgets as much as i enjoyed final fantasy uh 13 2 i don't need super amazing high def graphics to enjoy a game i enjoyed radiant historia more than i did 13 2 well and yeah, I, the- i'm glad you just brought that up because we were talking before about how um one thing that was kind of troubling about xenoblade was that you know there's some trickery going on to make the game work on the wii and then i think it was steven was like yeah don't you wish it was on like the playstation 3 and i, I made the argument that I'm, I'm sure john would make you know if you had been here in the pre-show warm-up that if that game was on ps3 it would have been completely different because it would have had a different budget it would have had you know different elements going into it 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 turned out the way it did because of the platform that it's on it it probably would not have been the same and it would have been a much bigger budget to make a big high def game capable of competing with something like a final fantasy i i'm very 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 interested to see the kind of rpgs that we get on vita because i think that we're going to see this this is my prediction. This is my middle of the year prediction. It's sweet. April. I don't care. Where where I think the Vita is kind of in the PlayStation 2 sweet spot where you can have relatively large budget games and and make but but when I say large budget, I mean that look like they have large budget. They have good graphics, but not, you know, you don't have to spend millions of dollars on a graphics team. It's that sweet spot. We're going to get good games out of the Vita, and I hope that it's amazingly successful because it's a great system. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 have, I have that hope as well. It's just that the Vita hasn't really started off on the right foot right now. I don't know. I, it, I thought it had a pretty damn good launch. It I had know. a good launch. I mean, but for as far as RPGs go, um, not really a good track record. Uh, I, 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 have, I, I have to ask you, Ashton, because I, I was thinking about importing it. Uh, Ragnarok Odyssey. Have you had a chance to play it yet? No, I haven't. I haven't tried it yet. I do plan on trying to import it, like um, in the near future. But right now, financials are kind of tough. Okay. No, I hear you. <laughs> I, I was looking at Play Asia, and it was like eighty-five dollars. And I was like, you know, I don't speak Japanese. I think I'm gonna wait for the the mainland Asian version to import because it was like twenty bucks less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that's probably when I'll get it because I I speak a little bit of Moon Runes as well. <laughs> so, um, really quick, if you're interested in hearing more about Xenoblade, it was episode number 32 from last September where we all talked about the European version. Wow, that long ago? 
Wow. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, it was a while ago. Wow, times have changed. But anyway, um, if you do love um, JRPGs or if you care about JRPGs in any capacity and you have a Wii, you probably should get Xenoblade because it's actually probably like a, you know, um, it's probably representative of how how JRPGs will be received by American audiences. Yeah, so if you own a Wii and you want RPG, guess what? It's good. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so hooray. Completely agree. All right, you guys have some Tales games to talk about while I sit here and try to nurse my sore throat. <clears throat> yeah, so we we have Tales of Graces F, which um, is, is very, very interesting. You know, I, I think it comes down to the fact that we haven't gotten um, every Tales games here, but I find myself completely enamored with this game's battle system because it's different from Vesperia's and Abyss's and, and Legendia's and all those others. In in complete function, there's there's only there's no MP. There's the CC system, which is absolutely brilliant in the way that it works because right. you're never you're never trying to okay I've got to conserve MP. I can't use special powers. Whatever you can get all your special powers back or all your points back in five seconds by doing nothing in battle. Yeah, um, it's actually because this um, this battle system was made by Team Destiny, whereas um, the ones we did get were all made by Team Symphonia. If I recall, the CC system was the one that was in the Tales of Destiny remake, right? Yeah, it was. Um, it was actually, I think it was um, created in, um, it was either Tales of Rebirth or Tales of Destiny 2, neither of which we got. Rebirth was awesome, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rebirth I, was pretty good. I, I have to say, I totally dig the battle system in this game. And as much as I, I, I honestly at this point don't care what's going on in the story, because it seems like every other <laughs> Tales game I've ever played. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm playing this almost purely for the battle system, but it's it's amazingly fun, and I I can't get enough of it. The Tales battle system in this is uh it's uh, it's really different from say Tales of Vesperia and Tales of Symphonia, but in the in the same vein, um, it actually has a lot of uh, problems in that to execute some attacks, you actually have to um, use the attack before uh, before that on the flowchart. And nobody like. You mean like, for example, like in Tales of Symphonia, you could combo from a level one to a level two to a level three tech. Yeah, like it, if, or like for arcane, example, arcane. if you wanted to use, say, um, I don't know, Beast in Tales of Symphonia, you just mapped it to the B button. You press the B button and you use Beast. In Tales of Graces, they have a flowchart where, where you have to execute level one attacks, then level two attacks, then level three attacks. And yeah. Beast is a level three attack, so you have to get past the level one and level two attacks before you have access to Beast. Sorry, so, I, I, I got interrupted. Are you describing A-Arts versus B-Arts? Yeah, A-Arts, um, the, the difference between um, the Symphonia and um, the Spirit battle system as opposed to Grace's battle system, because in order for you to use certain abilities which have really nice effects, for, for example, Beast's ability to, like, knock down enemies for tales of graces you have to go through level one and level two arts in order to get access to beast whereas in the Spiria and symphonia you could just map it to a button and just put the push that button as a result of that has it come out that the level three arts are significantly stronger or more more i guess specific than the, the level right. one ones well level three and um, they aren't significantly stronger but they do have um certain aspects to them that you can't get with the other attacks. For example, uh, some of the A arts, uh, some of the characters can only steal with their A, their A arts, certain A arts, and their A arts have different, more specialized 
uses. For example, they have a greater amount of hits, which can let you combo better. Whereas B arts are more like, you know, pure power. I, I'll be honest. Um, I, I stopped using A arts. I've been playing it. I, I, you can switch characters just like you can in any Tales game. I've been playing as Asbel, and I just stopped using A arts. Like, Why? I literally just use the power arts all the way through, and it's, it's been effective for me. But is it fun? Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, that. it's very fun. See, I, I don't know. I guess I, I see it differently than you guys do because, yeah, you do have to go through the tree to get to the higher level A arts, but that's why there's two kinds. I, it would be annoying if that was the only kind of arts, um, but I, I don't really have a problem with that because you can still map, like, you know, the special B arts to to the other button and then yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not combo saying with that. both. I'm not saying that I don't like them because you have you have a greater variety because you can only assign what is it four A arts or four B arts at a time. Yeah, uh, eight with shortcuts, but yeah. Oh, um, wait, how, how how do you assign more than four? I'm I'm you curious. Can, I have... You can set a shortcut to like move the right analog stick in different directions. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But I I mean like for for me it's it's more like I based on the A arts or B arts that I've set is that I can combo people, get them into the air easier with B arts. And then my AI controlled allies then beat on them as I try and do something more tactical or I can, I can hit a larger amount of enemies. Like I've got as Bill's one spin attack. That's been amazing up to this point. Cause it's like, Oh, everyone come chase me. Stop. Okay. Hit everyone four times. <laughs> the yeah. reason, the thing that I like about the battle system and the variety is that, like you said, John, it's easy. You can just change characters on the fly. But throughout the entire game, I just every once in a while, I would just change my main and play as another person. And it made it, you know, like every time I got to a new dungeon, if I was like, crap, I don't feel like going through this dungeon, I just play it as a different main character. And I felt like it created sort of like a, a user, you know, a challenge at the user level. Like I decided that I wanted to do this dungeon using Malik, let's say. But it's, you know, there's so much variety because you, you learn how to play each character. So it's a little bit like a fighting game in that respect. Now, I, I have a legitimate question for everyone. This is not specific to, t to Grace's, but does anyone else have huge issues playing as a magic user? Yeah, I, I've i played a lot of the Tales games. I've played multiplayer with friends. And it's fun insofar as, you know, Tales of the Abyss, you can have two people playing as Luke and Guy. You know, in Symphonia, you can have somebody playing as Kratos and Lloyd. But the magic characters, it's just, it's not as fast cast. or as visceral. It's just stand back, cast, stand back, cast. Okay, Abyss, I got the button that makes me cast faster if I mash the button. Um, for I... Graces, they kind of fixed it because, for example, Pascal, uh, all her spells focus on her as the epicenter. So you have to be somewhat close to the enemies for her to actually be effective. Plus, they have actual physical attacks via their A arts. So it's not really like in Vesperia or in Symphonia where spellcasters are a total bore to play as. But um, from what I understand, there are some people who actually prefer to play as spellcasters. And it's kind of like in the Street Fighter series where you play as Blanca. There, If you play as Blanca, you're either going to suck at him but be better at someone else or you're going, you're going to suck at everyone else and be excellent as Blanca. I think spellcasters are kind of like that. I think Tales of Graces is the first Tales game that makes it fun to play as a mage because, like you said, they have physical, they all have A arts that are actually comboable. Um, and if you do play as a magic caster, every A art that you combo before your actual spell will reduce the casting time of that spell by a certain percentage, depending on how many things you did before in that combo. So, like, if you, if you, you know, you're playing as Malak and you want to do his big 
fiery boom explosion spell. It's stupid to just sit back and then use it and wait and then sit back and use it and wait. You just you throw his boomerang and do a few of those. And then if you have enough CC, you start the, the fire spell and it goes like, you know, like that. And well, maybe not that fast, but fast enough to make it interesting to play him. And it's it it makes it so that there's a clear advantage to actually controlling a mage because they don't always do that, even though yeah. I, I playing, you know, playing as a melee character is probably easier and smarter. But there's a reason to try playing as mage characters in graces, unlike in the other ones where it was just slow and boring. Hmm. I hear you. I I do like how the games uh, Elith Break and Elith. What's the other? The other uh, Elith Break and Elith Rise. Mystic Arts or whatever. Oh, it's not Rise in the in the U.S. version. Really? Yeah. Um, I forget what they're called, but they're they in, in essence what they are is that one of them. It, we'll call them the Blue Elith and the Red Elith because that's what they are. <laughs> in, in the no, blue I one. I think it was Elith Rise. I think it was Elith Rise. It's not in the U.S. version. Really? I I I know for a fact that it's not Elithrise. Oh, the blue one, the blue one it, is Elith Break, and then was the, it Elith Burst? It was it Elith Burst? Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't oh, know. okay, yeah. Uh, but essentially, with with I know Elith Break is the blue one, where you get essentially an infinite amount of CC for I don't know, like ten seconds. And then the other one is you can't uh you can't get enemies caught up in your combos because they're they're more powerful than you at that point. I think it, it actually provides a modicum of strategy, especially against bosses who have special abilities that they can only use in the red Elith mode. Yeah, Mystic Arts. Yeah. Which it it, it actually really uh it, it it's really intriguing. The the game's battle system works. See yeah, um for this game you you don't have you have consequences to actually suffering enemy attacks more than just, um, oh, I lost HP and I have to heal, like in Vesperia and Symphonia. In this game, if enemies damage you or catch you in a combo, their Eleth meter rises, the red Eleth meter rises. And uh, when they reach Eleth break, they can catch you in their Mystic Arts. On the other hand, if you combo, then you can increase your Eleth meter and perform your Mystic Arts. Are the Mystic Arts set up right. like they're right. benefits? Elith Break and Elith Burst. Yeah. I gotta admit that the game sounds a lot more complicated. Like, I've never played a Tales game before, and these games sound a lot more complicated than I originally thought. Maybe I gotta check them out. You'll, yes. You won't like the story. I guarantee you, Rob. Yeah, the, yeah, you're not going to. The story is pretty much, the power of friendship rules all. How do you guys yeah, know I much. won't like that? That's, that's everything. Because you're in, Rob. No, I mean, that is kind of the... To be honest, that's the focal point in Dark Souls and Diablo. And George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones, of course, you know? <laughs> yeah, every, everyone's total friends there. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to talk about the, the pointy end. <laughs> but you, we will like the game for the fact that it really, it really rewards you for playing well, because if you catch enemies in, like, multi-head combos, then you can perform your Mystic Arts if you learn the specific abilities instead of, like, you know, having to wait until your Elith meter reaches max and then go into Elith Burst and then using the Mystic Art. But if you combo enough, then you can use the Mystic Art well out of Elith Burst. Well, when a game rewards me for playing well, that's when I really enjoy it. And I think that that's something that occasionally with RPGs I get frustrated with. And it sounds like the tail games, like like you said, you play well and good things happen. You know, it's like, gee, what a shock. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I think I that the, 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 the gameplay, because Rob is, is such a, uh, a number phobe, 
Numeraphobe. <laughs> I like Numeraphobe. Uh, I think that's good. Numeraphobe. That's what we might, Rob is a Numeraphobe. Uh, and while there are there are certainly numbers going on in the background for Tales games based on equipment and level and all that, it, if you are a more skilled player, you are going to do better than someone who is less skilled. Absolutely. Like, blocking attacks, building up combos. I mean, it's been that way for the longest time in that series. I actually think if you can get past the uh, anime tropes in the series, Rob, you probably would enjoy it. Well, it's it's not the number phobe thing in a uh, in a traditional RPG. Numeraphobe. Numeraphobe. Sorry, that doesn't bother <laughs> me that much in a traditional RPG that's you know turn based and whatnot. But in a uh, in an action RPG, that drives me crazy. Because like I know I'm good at action games, and if I start having trouble with an action game because well they're just making the numbers work out against me, that's when I start getting really irritated. All right, don't ever play ease. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's a game where I mean, one other, level other can than make Tales of Graces here. F, um, Tales of Abyss, Tales of the Abyss also came out on the 3DS like on in February. So, did we talk about Tales of the Abyss? Uh, didn't we? Not a little bit, yeah. When I I bought it and we talked about it, and yeah, yeah, I, I think mean, we, um, yeah, Ashton, feel free to talk about it for a little bit, but I think we talked about it. We had a segment on a previous well, podcast uh, I, about it. I was actually more going for the fact that um, it's been like what. Four years, almost four years since Vesperia was released on the 360, and we have two Tales games in the span of two months. So I think anybody who wants to ta- see Tales succeed needs to go out and buy these games. Yeah, well, apparently it appears, at least from the outside, that that uh, Abyss did well because it was almost impossible to find like three weeks after its release. Yeah, and uh, the the reprint also sold out really fast as well. Yeah, if you haven't played Tales of the Abyss, and I mean, a lot of people with, you know, you pick up a new console, a lot of people will complain, oh, hey, there are no RPGs yet. That Tales of the Abyss is one of the first RPGs on 3DS is pretty awesome for it, because it's one of the better ones. Yeah, definitely. It's hit us some of the strongest characters, for sure, yeah. Yeah, so it's a portable game. Sorry, sorry, go ahead, Derek. That's okay. Just the most interesting and multi-layered characters, even if they are jerks. Am I I the... Well, but real people are jerks, and I think that gives them yeah, depth. I, I exactly. hate all of the characters in, with the exception of Malik in Grace's F. I find them all insufferable. You know, <laughs> I I love Malik, but I hate his voice. I hate it. Wasn't Malik? Why would, hate well, why would you hate Malik's voice? His voice is awesome. He has he's some the, epic he, delivery. He's the voice man. of Nier, I, and I, I like Nier, but for some reason that voice actor drives me up the wall. I don't know why. Because he sounds so gravelly all the time. Was that an he Adam Jensen voice? Oh, he just he has just a really pulled. deep voice. Yeah, it just I, I think his voice, it seems like it's too deep for him. Like, I'm the oldest member of the party at the robust age of 35. <laughs> He's four. Well, that's, that, that, that's a JRPG thing. That has nothing to do with uh, with the character itself. Here, here's what I do is I just assume that when it comes to an RPG that's developed in Japan, everyone's age is multiplied by 1.5. <laughs> Isn't Cloud like ha- 20? Cloud's like 20 or 21 in Final Fantasy 7. Like, not yeah. even. Cloud is 17. No, 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 no. no. He's older than that. <laughs> is he oh, really? He's 21. Yeah. He's 21. Okay. Well, or, here's a great example. In Tales of Vesperia, Raven is like 31, and they refer to him as like a decrepit, dying old man. <laughs> no, 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 no. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite was my buddy pointing out when like Final Fantasy 7 was coming out, and he was showing me all the characters, and there's Barrett, you know, this giant Mr. T-looking guy, and he weighs like 170 pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like what? That's it's actually like, one of the things that I found really insufferable about Tales games. I mean, like I imported um, Tales of Innocence R from Japan for my Vita, 
and like one of the characters is like and i wrote about this on the boards or uh, somewhere anyway and one of the char- female characters is 5'2", and she weighs like 115 pounds. And then everybody refers to her as the fat one. And she's all like, oh, I need to wash my way. I'm all like, you're borderline you under <laughs> underweight. What the hell is wrong with you? Well, and then you watch something like Ninja Warrior, and you see a, an American compete on Ninja Warrior, and you realize that there's no way an American is ever going to win. Because they're just too big. It's like Makoto Nagano is like half my height and about three times as much muscle mass as me. It's like, gee... <laughs> I wonder, uh, how much does Cloud weigh? Like, he's like wafer thin. He's like 120 pounds. I think his sword maybe weighs more than him. <laughs> Especially when he wraps it in tape for he some could reason. not lift that sword with those chicken arms. That's true. That's true. Rob, I, I think I heard you make a veiled attempt at making fun of Kingdom Hearts. I take it back. There was nothing veiled about it. Why does he wrap it in masking tape? Because it's Kingdom Hearts. He can't hit people with a big sword. It's frightening. Even though later they get swords. That's why we made it into a keyblade. Which later on just starts to look like a knife anyway. Yeah, They're yeah. monks. They're unable to draw blood. Uh, yeah, God's sake. They just have to bludgeon people to death. <sighs> All right. Okay, speaking of um, Races F, yeah, I... um, we, we were going to talk about uh, the DLC. So, John, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, yeah John. No. The, even even more than Neptunian 2 is Gracious F does DLC wrong. Um, honestly, like, they offer separate costumes to DLC. That is, a lot of people are getting mad about it. That is okay with me. I don't care if you allow, if you have extra, to, you know, whatever for DLC. You know what, I'm okay with DLC. I understand that it has to be done. What my problem is, is it's $2, $3 or $4 per Four. costume. Four, four, is it four, four? $4 for per costume. Per costume. And I'm not saying that you get, when I say per costume, I'm not saying, oh, you pay $4, you get a full set of costumes for everyone. You pay $4, you get a single costume for a single character. Yeah. Yep. So so theoretically, you have six party members. That's $24 for a full set of costumes. That took uh-huh. an intern a week to do. Yeah, it's, it's and pretty good. Which, which would have been an old Tales game, just as part of the package. Now, there exactly. are some. There are some that are just in the game, and you're paying to unlock them early. Okay. Those and are, those are only those are yeah. only ninety nine cents though. The brand new costumes are four dollars per character, and that that goodness makes me angry because that's not what DLC is supposed to be about. You know what? I have I I loved. Uh, all not all of them. I didn't like uh, uh, the first one, or I didn't like Dead Money. But the the DLCs for Fallout New Vegas were the way you need to do DLC. Ten dollars provide a good amount of content, and you're done. They integrate into the main game, and you have all the fun that you want to have. I, I mentioned this before too. I agree. Those ones are good, and the Borderlands DLC. It was like ten or fifteen dollars, and you get an extra five six hours of gameplay, and you know it's not like half-assed kind of gameplay i mean you get a lot of cool new stuff Did you guys you know, see my, my problem with namco's dlc practices is um it's getting more and more egregious uh for example you have like i, I think it was katamari which had like half of the DLC uh levels cut off as dlc and they um, were on the disc yeah yeah they were on the disc and they were half of them were cut up on dlc um, or say in Japan, the Idol Master series, which has has like three hundred dollars in DLC for each game or something. What? Yeah, oh, something and, like that. And uh, no, uh, 
uh, auto assault. That's not it. Uh, Ace Combat. Ace Combat yeah. has like you can buy every single brand new plane and every skin for it, and you can spend you know a hundred bucks on planes. Yeah. Also, um, there's also another thing that I find really alarming about this is that uh, these two games haven't really been released in the U.S. yet, and I'm not sure they ever will. I hope they will. Well, I hope I see at least one of them will. Um, Tales of Exilia and Tales of Innocence are are um, seem really unfinished and rushed to release. Um, Tales of Exilia has um, a really rushed storyline. Uh, some of the things, some of the uh, some of the side quests don't seem well formed. They don't have a really a large amount of side quests. Um, Tales of Innocence are half the skits aren't voiced. Um, it's short. It's about 15 hours if you want to just focus on the story. Um, the battle system elements do not gel well, but um, they have DLC like right after the release of these games for costumes that are like $4 each. And that's fine if the game itself was complete and, you know, I felt like I had like a non-rushed game. I mean, I realized they had deadlines for these. Exilia had to meet the Tales anniversary deadline and um, R had to meet the v- Vita launch window. But uh, when they have these $4 per costume things right after the launch, it just feels kind of like a cheapening of the game, especially when, since, as an example, Exilia has four costumes in the game, whereas um, Abyss has like 33 total. Yeah, I... I no, I, I've said this before when I did my review of uh, of Mass Effect Three for Ashes. I have no problem with with day one DLC because I think we all know that that games are finished essentially several months before they come to market. When I say finished, I mean actual content development. And so your content guys are working on other stuff, or they go off to other games, and or whatever. So I have no problem with with a DLC coming out on day one. It, it's when it's simply egregious things like like the the costumes or the plane skins or the levels in Katamari or Namco does a really really crappy job at this, and and that's honest. I like I like a lot of Namco's games, but their DLC practices suck. John, do you know? I mean, just to see them keep doing this, I know another company that's cited pretty often for pretty. Uh bad uh, execution of DLC is Capcom. Are they making money off of this stuff? Like, is Namco making money and that's why they keep getting away with this and slowly... Yeah, they're, they're, they're making money price. off the hardcore it, fans. Yeah, here's... I, they're going off the free-to-play MMO market, essentially, which is frustrating considering that, well, I have no problem if I need to spend money to buy wacky hat in any free-to-play MMO because I'm not paying anything for the game itself. I'm not paying a subscription. I'm not paying anything to get started. Mm-hmm. But... I paid sixty dollars for Tales of Graces F. Yeah, and right, you know there there is a certain amount of content that you should expect. Now, I I don't agree with the people who say, oh, all DLC should be free. I already paid for this game. Well, no, that that doesn't fly with me. You know what? The concept of DLC is such that we're going to continue working on the game and creating new content after it's done because it's functional. Yep. But if I'm paying sixty dollars for a game, I don't expect to pay money for a hat. That's yeah. why I'm paying money for the game. The Borderlands yeah. guys came out this week and said that each one of the Borderlands packs they completed in eight weeks. Eight weeks yeah. after. <clears throat> that's amazing. Like, that's the way DLC needs to be done. Keep the experience rolling and keep it coming out at a timely pace. I think Bethesda. I mean, we're we're only going to start. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really trying here. 
we're only going to start hearing the uprisings of the first Skyrim DLC this month, hopefully. You know, it's been, what, five? It's been five months since the release of the game. Like, I'm, I'm sure it'll do fine. I'm sure it's going to sell, and they're saying that it's going to be bigger. It's going to be like expansion packs, but that's pretty long into a game's life cycle for them to just well, now be getting there. Fallout New Vegas did that, where Dead Money didn't come out for four or five months, and there was another long delay between that and uh, Honest Hearts. I, I almost... Uh, sorry, go ahead, John. No, 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 I was done. Go ahead. Okay. I almost like that, though, because if you get DLC too close to the launch of the game, it kind of like... Like, for example, you could get... Um, I can't remember with Mass Effect 2, but there was a mission you could get, and it came out right around the time everybody was beating the game, but it was a new squad mate, and it's like, all right, I beat the game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't need this. Like, I don't need yeah. this anymore. Well, like, that. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I like. I, I want to talk about how how angry From Ashes made me, but I'll let you finish. Yeah, but like, you know, with New Vegas, you get that. All right, I've beaten the game. Okay, all of this DLC is built to be played after you finish the game. So by waiting that long, they've given everybody enough time to finish it, including people who bought it. You know, a month or two after release, and it's like, okay, cool. This expansion just came out. I can go ahead and try this now. I haven't played in a while. I want to jump back in. You know, there it is. You know, just to segue into what you're going to say with like Kasumi or, you know, for you with From Ashes was useless because you had beaten the game already. And the entire value of that pack comes from having Javik in your party to comment on the events of the story because I had it right from the start. So Javik to me was fully in the game. But yeah. So w- when I played Mass Effect 3, because I was playing it for a review before it came out. There, the DLC was not available yet. It was something I actually wanted to have a day one review for. Wasn't able to do it. Luckily, if you have already beaten the game, that DLC is a half an hour long. And it's frustrating because essentially what the game is doing to you is I've already found all the doodads. I've already done all the N7 missions. I've already done everything. And it's like, oh, go to this planet. Oh, hi. You're going to fight Cerberus dudes for 20 minutes. Talk to Javik for 10 and you're done. And I, I'm of the mind where, yes, you need to make sure that your DLC is integrated with the main game so that someone who is playing through for the first time can have that DLC and can have it as an integrated part of their game. You also need to make it so that it is meaty enough on its own for people who've already defeated it. Exactly. And you know what? If, if they had added two or three more missions, or even one or two more missions to, to From Ashes... It would have been an infinitely better DLC, but because it was it it was clear that it was meant to be integrated DLC, they needed to have it be a an online pass. They needed to have it be something else, and not you're purchasing this separately if you didn't buy the collector's edition. Yep, I didn't pick it up, and I feel like I missed out. I, I agree with you completely, John. I, even playing it, I said this shouldn't have costed me ten dollars. This should have been I bought the game new. I have access to this, but if I buy it used, I don't. Because that's exactly what those online patches should be like. It's not essential to your experience, but if you get it at the end, it's useless. Yeah, it, it, it truly is, and that's why that's why I said it was not worth it to buy from Ashes. So, I mean, it's, it's frustrating. Though, I guess to be fair, they are giving us the, the, the new DLC for free, so... Yeah, um, I think the more problematic implications come when... Um, Tales of Graces has a lot of bad DLC, but the main game is actually very well fleshed out. It's it doesn't feel rushed in any way. I mean, the game on itself, the game stands on its own, and you don't need the costumes at all. I mean, like oh, yeah. you can tell they you can tell they completed the game, then the costumes were an afterthought, you know, because the game itself has a 
it doesn't have a lot of costumes, but it has enough for you know, you know, like if you get aesthetically bored of your characters, you have like twenty or so costumes um, that you can change into and out of. But uh, for games, for the later Tales games, the more recent ones like Exilia and Innocence R, which, um, as I've said before, haven't been released in the U.S. yet, but um, this is all the more noticeable because they seem rushed. They they don't they their development doesn't seem to be very complete. Uh, some people are saying that Excelia is going to get a director's cut in Japan later this year. I'm not sure if that's in it, a true or not, but uh, they rush these games to production, rush these games to release, and then like afterwards they sell these four dollar costumes. Where I was just feeling that you know if you had the time to work on these costumes after the fact, why didn't you just delay the game and then like you know give us a more complete package? Well, that's actually a problem people have with Graces to begin with, because when it came out on Wii in Japan, it was supposedly super glitchy and, like, very unfinished feeling. I mean, I don't know. Did, didn't you play it on Wii, Ashton? Yeah, um, they actually had a thing where you could send in your game disc and they would give you an uh, unglitched one. Ah, uh, okay. But uh, that's actually completely different, because from Graces to Graces F, there was, like, a year of difference, and um, the future arc was actually not that big of a addition outside of a few dungeons and an extra playable character. The difference is here for Exilia and Innocence are it's really obvious they rushed it out. Whereas um the original Graces it, it was more like, you know, quality assurance was kind of a little bit lacking in that one, but the the game itself was seemed relatively complete. Yeah, like like I said my my only my only issue with it is because they're charging simply so much for aesthetic DLC. Like I, I really dig the game despite not having any interest in the characters. Yeah. And you know, a lot of apologists are going to like listen to this podcast and then send us emails and they're going to be all like, Oh, you know, but it costs the same in Japan. So it should cost them the same in the U S well, that's not really an argument. It shouldn't cost that much in Japan. And even if it did, these games cost $90 each in Japan, should they cost $90 each in the U.S.? I'm sure that's what publishers would want. I'm sure that's what developers would want, but that's just not the way it works. Yeah, no, I understand. Though, I, I would like to see more podcast email, podcast at RPGfan.com. Thank you, John. Right now. <laughs> All right, um, so, you know. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, oh, you're cutting me off as I'm going out of my spiel about us not getting any mail? I wasn't sure. John, I'm sick. Don't be mean <laughs> to me today. Hey, so, so I, I want to go in and and read some of the podcast emails that we've received recently. So, oh, oh God, wait, did you mean like blah blah Metal Gear Solid blah? <laughs> that no, was no, a while no, no, back. No. <laughs> that that was a while back. But I'm going into emails that we've actually received over the past two weeks or so. Oh boy, we got how many? All right, <laughs> from Jay McDonald. Good day. Our research staff has identified you and your company as one that may benefit from Google slash SEO. Oh, man. All right, next one. Hi, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Attached is SureMic, Yamaha speaker, and Crown MTBX speaker, and Heiser mic prices list. Are you interested? Can you contact us? What the F am I listening to? He's I'm listening. You're listening to ads. Spam. That's all we get now is spam. So we don't email get anything us. else. Ask us questions. Let us know what you think. Now, we get emails. Some of us get emails at our personal addresses, but the podcast email is, is very, very sad and lonely. Sniff. Yeah, I, I, I get more email than that, and I'm on, like, a crappy Gmail account. 
Yeah, but here's what's going to happen. We're going to start getting emails. It's like, why didn't you give Xenoblade a 150%? Then we're going to find out it was Derek. Yep. And we're that, all going to get upset. Hey, that, I already that, told you I'm fine with your score. <laughs> teasing. That, 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 that goes know. to Rob's personal address. That has nothing to do with the podcast. Yeah, seriously. If you have beef tonight. with a reviewer, email them. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, and there are like a lot of emails to us about JRPGs and stuff every week. So if that guy, could, if those guys could, you know, mm-hmm. send it to the podcast email, we'd be happy to read them and, you know. Or something, and then I'd be sure to be like, "Yeah, we got some email, whatever." It's not about Diablo. Who cares? Are are we are we ready for some news? Since Rob is talking about Diablo now, and I have to horribly cut him off. Well, one of the things to talk about in news is the other game. (laughs) Hey, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Did I I missed the article? Is there Prada DLC, or are they just modeling in some magazine? No, they're just they they were they were just that's just the modeling. Okay, yeah. I was just curious because I was going to say that's very different from the Final Fantasy. Did you guys see the awesome article on uh, One Up this week? It was like, uh, yeah, how can Final Fantasy, <clears throat> excuse me, versus thirteen not disappoint? You realize that, that game was announced over six years ago. We're coming up on the end of the life cycle for the current consoles, and we might start getting information about it this year. Yeah, Square Enix has a really messed up development cycle. Yep. I think- is, didn't, wasn't there some rumor that they were going to retitle it Final Fantasy Type 1? I have uh, not heard that one. Like, I heard they were going to retitle it because they don't no, want the, anything the only, rumor, the only rumor I've heard about Final Fantasy 13 is that, um, because, well, versus 13, rather, is that Tetsuya Nomura said something about external factors preventing him from announcing anything at current. And some people are saying that that's because it's going to go multi-platform, which, if it does, it's going to result in, like, a, a really huge storm of crap. Why? Well, I, Who I cares? think I think I think it just needs more zippers. Who cares if it comes like uh, uh, like really every major release these days by a third party is released on both consoles. Who cares? People people get really defensive with their consoles, Rob. I know. Yeah. I was that way back in the Sega Super NES days. Get well, over Rob. You haven't you never saw the hissy fits that some people threw when um the multi-platform Final Fantasy 13 was released, and they said that. It was because of the 360 version that the game was so crappy. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I remember that now, actually. Yeah, like, we're done. That, that was really we're, bad. We're done with that. We're going on to news. All right. Yeah. All right. News. Final Fantasy. Or Final Fantasy. <laughs> Mass, Mass Effect 3 DLC uh, coming out. We're going to have extended ending. And yeah, that's going to come out at some point in the future. And then actually... Uh-huh. Um, by the time you're listening to this podcast, there will be free multiplayer DLC, which is actually very, very exciting. Two new maps, yes. some new weapons, some new items, some new characters. Is it wrong? Broken not? Vanguard, the combination of my two favorite things about Mass Effect 3. Vanguard, Spiatic Charge, and Krogan's. Is it wrong that I'm very disappointed with Bioware? Because yes. I'm giving free DLC? No, here's my problem with Bioware. I, I think that if they... We all have our opinions about what they did with the ending. We're not going to spoil the ending for Mass Effect 3 in here. But I have my theories on the ending. I happen to think that they were trying to do something very unique with the ending, but they failed miserably. Uh, I think that's the problem with the ending. So now we're going to get is we're going to get a DLC like extended ending that will probably just elaborate on the ending that they went with to be like, yeah, this is actually what happened. And I just feel like they're folding like a cheap suit on this one. Like, again, if oh, no, if it sucks, so, it mean, sucks. Get over it. Like, uh, you know, before I, I, we talk about that, I just 
I actually wanted to comment on the multiplayer DLC before we jumped into the ending DLC. Okay, do that first. Um, I think it's awesome that they're doing that because when you have other games like Call of Duty and I'm sure like whenever Medal of Honor isn't awful and people actually play it. Battle- Battlefield is, is EA's new uh, new first-person yeah, shooter. Exactly. You know, with Battlefield and, you know, you have paid DLC. The fact that they're taking this pretty high-profile game where people – People have responded pretty well to the multiplayer, and they're giving a pretty substantial content update. I mean, you're getting new guns, two new maps, a ton of new classes with characters that weren't available before, with new melee attacks. And, I mean, in the case of the Geth, it looks like their HUD is even different. You know, it's a pretty pretty freaking sweet. And, they've even, and I recall them saying that this is not the only multiplayer update. So when they add Reapers to the next playable class update, I'm going to be very excited. That, that that would be really cool though is if you played as like one of the reaper things and you were fighting against like uh alliance troops no i totally agree like left for dead style versus mode like you have the another side play as cerberus or as the reapers or as um uh the geth that'd be really yeah. cool yes yeah definitely bioware I mean, do that people, uh, bioware has has got a lot of um hate these days but i think it's really cool that they're releasing this really substantial dlc for free like coming off the dlc debate we just had yeah that's dlc done right it is yes yeah. exactly but it is and to segue into what you were saying rob i they've they've been very clear that they are not changing the ending they're expanding it and you know we don't want to go into ending spoilers but They've been very un. They've been intentionally vague, and even during the PAX panel, they said, in regards to the theory that you were mentioning, you know, they they didn't disconfirm that that's what they may be specifying. They've just said that they're going to add additional cutscenes to clarify things, right? And that can be taken to mean a million different things. Yeah, exactly. They they're just, not, all they're not changing said, the ending. Yeah, they've just said they're not changing the existing scenes, but that doesn't mean that they can't add cutscenes that change the meaning of those scenes. Yeah. Right. I, I just, you know, I don't think it's going to be substantial in any way. I don't think that all of a sudden the Reapers are going to turn into ice cream cones as much as I want them to. I just think, <laughs> you know, stand by your art. You know, even if even if nobody likes it, stand by it. You got to admire George Lucas to an extent, standing by his stance that you know Greedo always shot first. Like, whatever mental yeah, gymnastics. I, I, I don't think George through. Lucas is the kind of person that you can say um, it, it epitomizes stand by your art. Yeah, uh, okay. this is a very yeah. commercial dude. In, yeah, sure. I, I've been having. I would, I would say more like Bill Watterson. I I, I don't know who that is. That, he's the guy who made Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, okay. okay. Like I've been having pretty heated arguments because I, I, I'm of the opinion that there's too much negativity around that game at this point. Yes, I didn't like the ending at all. But people, I mean, you can't talk about this game on the internet without it devolving into people just ripping into Bioware, like. Hey, Mass Effect 3 has multiplayer DLC. The ending sucks. Bioware are Nazis. We hate them. And you can't talk about the game in any meaningful capacity. Yeah, and- it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous how 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 truly effective this is at conveying Godwin's law. And I mean, I've had that actually happen to me in real life and not online before, which is getting kind of to the point of ridiculousness. Yeah, and you know, you know, not not to but basically you're at this point where Wow, I totally forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> you know, people have, too angry. People on both sides. And my roommate is very adamantly anti-Bioware now at this point. You know, he, he hates everything they're doing. He thinks that they're selling out. And he demands that they change the ending. And I, I don't know. For me, it's I'm not comfortable with the idea of them 
you know, before it was announced what they were going to do, saying, oh, we're, well, we're going to remove this ending and change it. Because that's exactly what George Lucas has come under fire for, is that you can't go out and buy a Blu-ray of the, ver- the theatrical version of Star Wars. You, right. you just can't. And I don't, I don't like the idea of people saying to an artist, if you're going to contend that games are art, maybe they're a different form of art, hey, we don't like this, you have to change it, we don't want to be able to access that old version. Uh, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. No, I, I just think that what Bioware did was they, they went for something very unique with the ending, but I think it was very sloppy. And so what we're going to get is we're going to get a confirmation of many of the theories that are out there. And that's fine. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think it's going to change the game that dramatically, but, you know, it is what it is, but I, I think Bioware is kind of caving to pressure a little bit. And I don't know if that's good for the industry or not. I mean, you, you definitely want the fans to, you know, the fans should keep the developers in check. If you don't like something, then don't buy it. But you should not demand a change and then all of a sudden get that change. You know what I mean? I, I just think it's a dangerous precedent. Like, I didn't like the ending to Fallout 3. And you know what they did? They added on an expansion and they were like, yeah, we did kind of mess that up. Okay, let's fix it. That was a good example of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I, I think that, that, uh, that they did it wrong with Broken Steel. Like, I do. I know that they got it wrong, but completely going and changing your ending, like that that that's a pretty significant thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like I, I didn't care for the ending of Fallout Three, um, but I agree, John. I, I think that blatantly disregarding it at that point is just you know, you can admit that you made a mistake artistically, but don't go back and try to delete it from existence. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, that is true. No, I can agree so. with that. Well, we'll move on. Steven wants me to talk about uh, Jane Jensen having a Kickstarter for uh, to create Sierra Online style adventure games. So you you can uh, talk about that all you want. I really don't know much about it, Stephen. Um, I, you know, I, I won't talk about it for too long. But basically, we were talking earlier before the show about good and bad Kickstarter campaigns because there are so many now, and. We had mentioned that it's the Kickstarter campaigns are great for games that are not going to get picked up by publishers because it's just they're, they're not going to get sold enough. But Jane Jensen, who, you know, Gabriel Knight, Grey Matter, um, they're doing a Kickstarter campaign for a new company where they're going to try to release, you know, Sierra Online style adventure games, you know, some one or two a year. Um, the goal is pretty modest. But basically, yeah, that you know, they're letting people have input as to what the game is going to be. Is it going to be... You know, this new original idea, is it Grey Matter 2? You know, and it, it's fairly small amounts. Like, the, the highest donation is, like, $500, and that's, like, you get some ridiculous thing. Uh, you know, but, you know, just a matter of pointing out that that exists. It is a thing. I like the Shadowrun Kickstarter. I do as well. I'm okay with that. Hey, hey that, that one's already funded. We're already? Yep. That one got funded oh, after one day. Oh, man. Oh. I, I never got wow. to check. Are they talking about a sequel to the totally awesome Super Nintendo Shadowrun? I, I like they're, them they're both. Just, they're, they're creating a game from the ground up, which, by the way, the Genesis version was better than the Super Nintendo Agreed. version. Agreed. Wait, wait, wait. We're talking the one where you, it was like almost point and click? That was a Super Nintendo version. The Genesis version was more like an action RPG. Okay. I never played wait, So, for... So this isn't going to go in the vein of like that. I think it was like that 360 game, which was like a tactical shooter or something. It, mm, no. Hopefully not. Oh, thank God. That one was bad. Oh, hey, you know what? As as much crap as the 360 slash PC Shadowrun got, 
I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was a good tactical shooter, and the whole powers thing made it different. Like, it truly, being able to have a class teleport through a wall, and all of a sudden, oh, holy crap, he's right there. That was great. It just it it could have been not called Shadowrun, and I think people would have liked it better. I th- I yeah, that's I think. Problem. I think the gameplay yeah, in it was yeah. cool too. Like, I think if I recall, the problem with it was there was like not enough content. There was only like a couple of maps and no. Yeah, there, there, there were only a few maps on PC. It was only available for Wind Vista, and this was when Wind Vista was first coming out. Oh yeah, that was that was a bad move. So it was because it was it was one of the first games for Windows Live, and the cross-platform stuff was great. I remember because I was playing on Wind Vista, and everyone would try and play with me because they would get an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> we have to play with John. We have to be his friend. We'll get in the. Oh yeah, no, it's a play, play in a party with a player on another platform, and so it was like you know you play a game with me, you get an achievement. So I was incredibly popular. I was sitting there with my Shadowrun books open, hoping that someone would play with me and that it would hook up somehow to the uh, PC game. It didn't. <laughs> so, but, actually, that reminds me. I wanted to ask you a question about Shadowrun later, Bob. It's awesome. Um, anyway, we'll we'll go on from here. Uh, the Witcher now available for Mac, the original one. Um, as Whoa. yeah, good as well. That. As oh, well, well. Speaking the, of the Witcher, um, it's like another ten days before Witcher Two comes out for the 360. Yes, that is that's where I was going. The enhanced edition is now gold. Um, on the 11th, you can start preloading the PC version if you already own The Witcher Two. Uh, it'll be available on the 17th. If you are an Xbox 360 owner, um, and we'll talk about that after the show, Ashton. Do you uh, have to? Uh, do you have to download the whole game again, or do I just have to download a patch for my PC version? Patch. Yeah, it's, patch, it's a I would patch. imagine. Yeah. So starting on the 11th, you can start preloading that patch, but it won't be able to be used until the 17th. Cool. Cool. Let's hope they fix um, things. Yay, CD Projekt Red! I love that yeah, game. Love those guys. Love yeah, CD Projekt is awesome. They are they are good folks. Um, Kingdom Hearts, derp, 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 coming out. Uh, <laughs> with your tone. <laughs> coming out June or July thirty first. Uh, the 3DS Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance North America thirty first. You guys are totally trying to marginalize me as like the only person here that likes Kingdom Hearts. Wait, no, Derp likes Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I like Kingdom Hearts. I love Honestly, Kingdom Hearts. Derp, derp, derp was pretty epic. I, honestly, like I, I have no problem with Kingdom Hearts. Not really my kind of game, but that's an awful title, and you know it. I'm not denying that it's an awful title, but neither is three five eight over two days. Yeah, well, and, see, you know what? Yeah. You know what? I I couldn't I, I couldn't come up with, and I really didn't come up with this. It's been all over the internet, but there's no good pun for that. Whereas you have something that has Kingdom Hearts DDD. Well, derp 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 <laughs> makes <laughs> sense. All right, fine. Henceforth, we will refer to it on the show as Kingdom Hearts 3D. Okay, fine. Uh, Pokemon Obunaga is coming out in North America. My head exploded when I heard <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> How do you feel so, about that, John? I am so I happy. I started a thread on our forums. I like seriously. This this is absolutely amazing I that we're really getting to play it. it and it's, it's on the it's regular. Kind of mind point that we're actually getting that game. Is it on the I, DS? Yes, it's a it's an original DS game. I um, play this so bad. It's a six it's a six on six tactical RPG. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> no, I know. Fast Eevee. It's, it's no. It's, it's so. Go, Bulbasaur. Use Vine Whip on Nobunaga now. Oh, hell. <laughs> Equip your Charmander. Dude, <laughs> I, 
I seriously don't don't even care what the quality of this game is going to be. I'm buying it on day one. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, they sold it to me on the concept alone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like that thing in Conduit 2 where you see the ending, and it's like the rest of the game was a pile, but you see the ending, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. Is that the ending where George Washington and Abraham Lincoln show up in mech suits? <laughs> yes. I watched that on YouTube the other day. I thought I was high. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Yeah, because it was in an article about how it was like one of the worst uh, endings that was worse than Mass Effect 3. I'm all like, oh, no, this this completely proves that it's clearly superior to Mass Effect 3's ending. Yeah, you beat Conduit 2, and out of a portal comes George Washington and Abraham Lincoln in power armor. <laughs> and even the main character just goes, what? Well, at least he reacts realistically. It's yeah. so bizarre. It, it's like... It's really surreal. It's really surreal. I, I'm proud of it, though. But yes, I think we should all get Nobunaga's Pokemon or whatever the hell it's called. It, 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 it's being called Pokemon Conquest in North America. However, the correct name is Pokemon Nobunaga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sweet Jesus. It's nice to see there are people willing to take a risk with silly things. Well, hey, I, I'm going to I'm going to call, keep calling it Pokemon Nobunaga. Yeah, that that's its name. Though honestly, this is like the the absolute. There's a reason why they changed the name to Pokemon Conquest because they're really marginalizing the the Nobunaga's ambition tie-in no. in North America. Just in in regards to marketing, probably um, because they want to sell it. Yeah, <laughs> like kids are all going to be like, who's Nobunaga? Yeah, well, like I said, I said on Twitter when I saw the box art is is ten year olds are gonna be like, man, who's that Asian guy on the cover of this game? <laughs> that's that's Ash. It's, when he's he grows profe- up. It's, it's Professor Nobunaga. <laughs> See, all I know him as is the dude that took an arrow to the neck in Onimusha. <laughs> I choose you, Shinsengumi. <laughs> so uh, oh, God. that's gonna be out on June eighteenth for the Nintendo DS. Um, I'm we're we're all very excited for that. There is yes, a yes, god we are. confirmed. I would put uh, that more, over Diablo 3. There is a god, and he is just. <laughs> no. um, wow, I opened up this news story from Liz that says there was a... a oh, there it is. Okay. Heroes of Ruins, uh, Heroes of Ruin uh, from N Space and Square Enix, a beat-em-up RPG for 3DS, going to be out on June 26th. In the US? Yes. Cool. Interesting. Do we? Has anybody had a chance to really look at that or try it out? I, I was I, curious I, at how it was. I, I played it at E3 last year. It was a fun beat 'em up. Um, it it didn't seem at that point to have anything that was particularly spectacular, hmm. but it was it was an entertaining hack and slash. Can't argue with that. I mean, like it, you, it's entertaining, but is it like forty dollars entertaining? I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm sure it's got a crap load of content. Yeah, we'll we'll Steven see. Steven loves content. Um. So actually, well, I want to spend a little bit more time on this little new story. Because um, the company is buying ads with us, and I like that. Um, actually, I've had a little bit of chance to play around with it. Uh, Confrontation just came out this past Thursday, and it's 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 a very interesting game. It's a it's a PC quasi turn based tactical RPG. Well, what does that mean? It's pretty much Baldur's Gate with only four characters. So okay. you can pause the game, issue commands, and and you're going through you know, Baldur's Gate style maps. It's really interesting. It's done by Cyanide, the guys who did Blood Bowl. They're doing the, the uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Um, it's it's really a very interesting title. Um, I'm sure that there's demos available. I, I, I can't confirm that because I'm, I 
have no data available. But it's actually very, very interesting. If you're a fan of old school PC style RPGs, this one's probably going to be right up your alley. Cool. Cool. Nice. Will we be having a review of it when it's full uh, out in full? Um, we, I'm, I may, I'm got other stuff on my plate right now, though. So, uh, I, I'll, I'm sure I can find us a reviewable. And if someone wants to play that, like, uh, Rob, who owes me, I do not owe <laughs> you that much. Uh, it's not a bad game, Rob. It's not like I'm trying to hand you Arcania. How's that going, Steven? Uh, you know, you know what? Everybody's expecting me to rant and rave about how bad it is. The game is super duper clunky and kind of stupid. But it's mildly enjoyable. Like, the combat is... It's just a generic slice-people-up RPG. Okay. It's, it's, not, it's not particularly broken in any area, except that the characters behave like complete retards. <laughs> <laughs> that they do. That they do. Um, Kings of Amalur has some new DLC coming out here soon. Uh, the Teeth of Naros is going to be out on April 17th. And you're going to be fighting an ancient troll god. That's interesting. In a flying city. Yes. Now, and 18 new weapons. I actually had a question about that. Uh, the 18 new weapons, are they adding new weapon types, or is it just like here's a new unique chakra? I, I'm guessing that would be a new unique chakra. I don't think they're going to be adding new weapon types. Okay. Because so, not, not that I don't think that's awesome, but it's like the game has so much loot already, I just don't feel like that would have much impact beyond, like I think the new area would be cool. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's probably only going to be $10 like the other one, and I'm sure it will be happy, fun time. Uh, I, I just want to mention I just want to mention here quickly, since we were just talking about reviews, um, I'm not sure when this will be up. But as I mentioned before, uh, I mentioned this game before, but my uh, Tales of Innocence review will be up sometime for the PS Vita. Yes, that will be up soon-ish when we get a, a major update slot that's free. Yeah, um, we've had a lot of like influx of reviewable content <laughs> this month. Yeah. So that will be up probably probably around the time that you're listening to this, dear listeners. Yeah, if you are interested at all in import gaming. Yes. Uh, going back to Kickstarter, the Wasteland 2 Kickstarter, um, actually, this news story was posted before. It hit $2.1 million, which means that Obsidian is actually going to uh, be involved with the, the new uh, Wasteland game. Why really? does that worry me? Because Obsidian, wow. Uh, I, I'm... I, not sure if want. You know, I, I honestly, games. Stop, stop, stop. Honestly, guys, they're despite the fact that their games come out buggy because of of budget or publisher or whatever, they're top tier guys. Chris Avalone is a great writer. I, I oh, don't no, think. No, no, I definitely agree on that point. I, yeah, I don't think not... this is. So, Go ahead. This go ahead. is not something to be worried about. This is this is good for this game. No, I, I like Obsidian. I mean, I thought Dungeon Siege 3 it was not buggy at all. I just think it had some bizarre design and, and choices. And that's the thing. I, I, I think I think that when you have every other Obsidian game, I don't think has had the correct scope and budget to create a AAA title. They tried with Alpha Protocol, and I don't know if that was design choices or what. But I yeah. think if you give Obsidian like a solid plan, a solid amount of time, and, and what they need to succeed... They create a game that is polished like they did with Dungeon Siege. I yeah. totally agree. Like, uh, you know, playing the original Fallout, a lot of the same guys, you know, Fallout 1 is glitchy as hell, but yeah. it's still fantastic. And I think they've always had fantastic, you know, designers. It's just they haven't had the budget or the time they need to get stuff done. I mean, I, I've been playing a little more in New Vegas, and that game's writing is infinitely better than Fallout 3. 
Yeah, mm. definitely. I mean, yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I think what uh, what some of you uh, some of you have said earlier, where their scope for the budget or time doesn't actually line up with their um, what they think they're going to do. When Alpha Protocol was one of those, which is why, like, after a certain point in their development, I think it was Sega. Just uh, I think it was the publisher. I think it was Sega. I'm not sure. If, yeah, uh, Sega published yeah. literally like six months. Yeah, they were all like, yeah, just stop development and. Yeah, just give it to us as is. So that's why they had no real ending for that. It just kind of stops abruptly, and there were no post-release patches for it for the, all the bugs and glitches either. Yeah, so hopefully they'll do well with with Wasteland Two. I'm excited. I think that they'll do it right. I think that because they're they're not they're not going to have probably a major art team because it's going to be isometric. Like I don't don't worry. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going to buy it now that Obsidian is involved. Well, you know what? It's not going to be a bad thing. It's truly not. Yeah, I didn't mean for my statements to make it sound like I was being oh, no, no, negative no. I, on them. Sorry, so. I'm, no, 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 I'm not saying that yours, but there have been a lot of people that I've seen that have been like, oh, man, Obsidian's involved. It's going to totally suck. Obsidian's a good developer. It's just mostly that they've had a run of bad luck with some publishers. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that will be out. Um, Xseed has announced they're localizing Unchained Blades Rex. Yeah. Unchained Blades. For PSP and 3DS, it's a dungeon crawler, but it's got lots of art from lots of folks who have made other games. And it's got a pretty cool soundtrack. Yes. So, I mean, if you, if you like wizardry-style games, go for that. Actually, that, that ties into another wizardry-style game. There is a Kickstarter for Class of Heroes 2 from our good friend Victor Ireland. Cool. And they're they're localizing Class of Heroes 2. They've got a Kickstarter where they are asking for five hundred thousand dollars because they want to make super ultra fancy collector's editions of the game. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. boys, <clears throat> I'm feeling. No, no, I, I got I got I'm not done. I got one oh, more. Oh boy, okay, I can make. Uh, it. NIS America just announced they're localizing three titles at their press event: um, Mugen Souls, Legacista. Mugen Souls, uh, man. Mugen. Mugen. No, Mugen. It's Mugen. It's Mugen? No, I'm sure it's Mugen because I have. I'm speaking like an American, even though I know what the Japanese (laughs) phonetic system is. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) No, it is. It is. I'm sure it is Mugen Souls. That was a a, uh, slip of the tongue, as it were. Uh Um, And they're also localizing Witch and the Hundred Knights. Uh, Legacista is a dungeon crawler for it's a PSN download. Um, Mugen Souls, aka Infinite Souls, is PS3. I don't have actually the platform here. Oh yes, it was oh PS3, no, they, yes. all three of these games are PlayStation Three. Yeah, um, Mugen Souls has some really weird stuff going on. Um, like. It's 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 bizarre. You should watch the trailer that we've got on the website. I and am then, terrified with, of that game. Yes, that game is going to be some pretty weird stuff. Um, and then The Witch and the Hundred Knights actually previously announced, developed in house at NIS. It's an open world fantasy RPG uh, with a battle between two witches, and you have to find out which is witchier and who is the witcher. Oh, wait, no. Well, the witcher uh, show up and kill both. Who's the witchest? Who's the witchiest? Witchiest. I mean, yes. I'm, wait, uh, do I get to touch them in order to find out which one is Whoa, which? Oh, all right. I yeah. think we're done here. <laughs> what? You don't like Mako Mako Shindoji Shin? What is it called? When I when I heard um, Mugen Souls, Doki Doki I got ex- Majo Shinpan. 
When, when Yo, I heard, Doki Doki, uh, yeah. When I heard Mugen Souls, I got really excited for a second, and then I realized it's not the game that I want. Yeah, same here. I thought it was like that Robin of Frontier game. Oh, can I, can I, can I real quickly, uh, so somebody on N4G, and I, I love N4G and I love Kotaku, but since N4G you have people that, you know, go out and find news stories. Somebody put up a story that was like, Dark Souls sequel, confirmed! It gets like a thousand hits, it's like one of the front page news stories. It's an interview from like three months ago where the guy was, where the director of the series was like, yeah, totally, the story's gonna continue. And it was like, dude, it's ar- it had already been reported on multiple times. Some dude just decided to get some hits. Like, come on, man. I mean, that's how a lot of news gets around is is somebody will will say something in an interview or something, and it will be something that's very demure and something that's that's pretty straightforward. And then somebody blows it up with a headline that really has nothing to do with what that person has actually well, said. This was the second time that the headline had been posted. It had been posted three months earlier. No, I... I I understand uh, I'm, that. I'm just saying that I think this podcast needs a segment like uh, Monday Night Football where it's, you know, come on, man. I think we need to have a segment I, like that for the game. I industry. think, look, honestly, uh, I want to start a new website and simply have the most inflammatory and, uh, and absurd headlines ever. <laughs> just take, take things completely out of context when I'm reporting on them. I like it. Uh, yeah, you know what? We, we've been talk- we've been talking about kind of trying to get RPG fan to be database driven in regards to its backend because it's really really primitive. That could be the website that I work on to get the database stuff done. Yeah, you can call it WTF reviews or something. Wow, what what's oh, that? God, you scare me, Ashton, because that's actually a, a domain that I was thinking about parking. <laughs> well, we'll have things up on the website like um, Diablo Two has no level system. Or uh, Diablo 3 cures Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> Mass Effect 3 is ending and it's awesome. Bio- no, you know what we could just call it? We could just call it Kotaku. Oh. Oh, oh, snap. oh sorry, guys. Snap. Hey, they've got a column. What's it called? Uh, I, I forget. All right, John, can we wrap this thing up? I, I All right, think, we're done. I I we are done. I hope right. that you enjoyed us going off on really weird tangents during news. Uh, anyway, this is John McCarroll for Rob, for Ashton, for Derek, and for Steven. We hope that you've enjoyed yourself, and we will hear from you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, buddy.